0: My name is AJ, if um, those of you that don't know me, usually I get to hide behind all the stuff up here, but today I'm out here weak and vulnerable in front of all of you, so Um, here we go. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be bouncing around the the Bible a little bit today, but we're going to start our journey in Genesis chapter 2, so you can turn there, and I'm going to share this little story with you. a couple had two little boys, ages 8 and 10, who were excessively mischievous The two were always getting into trouble, and their parents could be assured that if any mischief occurred in their town, their two young sons were some way involved. The parents were at their wits end as to what to do about their son's behavior. The mother had heard that there was a pastor in town that had been successful in disciplining children in the past. So she asked her husband if he thought they should send the boys to speak with the pastor. The husband said, we might as well. We need to do something before I lose my temper. The pastor agreed to speak with the boys, but asked them to see them individually. The eight-year-old went to meet with him first. He sat the first boy down and asked him sternly, where is God? The boy made no response. So the pastor repeated himself a little sterner tone, where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer the question whatsoever. So the pastor raised his voice one more time. Where is God? At once, the boy bolted from the room and ran directly home. When he got home, his older brother followed him in the closet and asked what had happened. The younger brother replied, we are in big trouble this time. God is missing, and they think we had something to do with it. Now, I'm the oldest child of three, so I kind of exempt myself from that story and kind of blame that on my two younger brothers. So, um, Just a little intro here to what we're going to talk about today. I believe that, um, as you see on the screen, we're going to talk about Sabbath, entering into God's rest. Sometimes as you prepare for a, a message or a talk or something that you're going to do Um, Jeff, you can probably um, testify to this, but God begins to convict you a little bit as you pray through and as you prepare for what you're about to say. So I'm going to be the first to admit this morning that even though I'm speaking this out, I don't have this all figured out. I don't have all the answers. But we're going to study this together. We're going to journey through this a little bit this morning. I think Sabbath overall in our culture is such a foreign concept. It's kind of a lost cause. Preaching to the choir a little bit here, right? This morning we're all here worshiping. We're taking time out. And as we go through this this morning, maybe some of these things you already do. Maybe some of these things are already reflective in your life. And that's great. So take today as an opportunity to dive in a little deeper on these concepts. We're going to answer questions like, what is Sabbath? Do we even need a Sabbath? And is the Sabbath still relevant today? The definition of Sabbath that I looked up said a day of religious observance from work kept by Jewish people from Friday evening to Saturday evening and by most Christians on Sunday. Again, this is a... um, Dictionary definition, so I don't get too crazy here. Um, Another definition said a weekly day of rest or time of worship given in the Bible as the seventh day. So let's look at a little bit of the history of Sabbath. History of Sabbath um, in Jewish culture, it was observed toward the end of the week tradition. Their Sabbath day was from Friday evening to Saturday evening. No work was to be done, no food was to be prepared. It was like a total shutdown. Sound familiar? Total shutdown. This was deeply rooted in the culture. There weren't any exceptions to this. It was kind of like a rule, almost like a law in their culture. Anybody remember the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Classic movie, right? 1971 had very deeply rooted Jewish traditions in that movie. Tradition, right? My wife's back there going, tradition. Tradition. Uh, <laughs> We walk around the house sometimes doing that. Tradition. If you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just a little side note, that movie was made on a $9 million budget, 1971. The average movie today is like $300 million that they have to produce a movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, it's good. There's a little bit of Sabbath uh, traditions in there. However, most like most traditions, um, this was eventually kind of changed. On March 7th, 321, the year 321, Roman Emperor Constantine issued a civil decree making Sunday a day of rest from labor. And he said this, All judges and city people and the craftsmen shall rest upon the vulnerable day of the sun. So 1,700 years later, this is where we are today, 2021, does this idea still hold up? Do we really need this? Is the seventh day of your schedule set aside to worship? Or is the seventh day of your schedule just another day for progress? Are you taking time to rest in Jesus? This is a great debate in the world, right? Should a business be open seven days a week? Or six days a week? Five days a week? If you own a business, do you have personal convictions about that? Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do about your own business. That's between you and God. But I want to give you some real-world stats and show you some real-world examples. Here's some staggering statistics that I looked up. This is according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation. That is a group of 36 of the world's wealthiest nations. Now, according to their stats, America is the only country of those 36, that doesn't require employers to give workers annual paid leave. That leaves about 23% of Americans with no paid vacation and 22% without any paid holidays. This is a couple of years old data. You know, you get pandemic data weaved in there too. But a couple years ago, Americans used an average of 17.4 days off. In a year. That was a survey based on more than 1,000 adult workers who worked more than 35 hours a week. Now, maybe the last 18 months you had no work at all. Maybe you're on the opposite extreme and you had to work a lot more than you usually do. Regardless of what it is, we still have to understand this concept, this God designed concept that we have of Sabbath. I'm just going to say this right out. Hopefully you still love me at the end of the day. Some of us are workaholics. Plain and simple. We need to hear that. I remember a graphic. Um, I saw this years ago. I, I should have pulled it up in here, but I didn't. It's, it had a, a sign for Workaholics Anonymous. So it had all the seats. The speaker was up front in the picture. So the speaker was there and all the seats were empty. And on the bottom, it said, What do you expect? They're all at work. <laughs> Here's another real world example of a company. And you, you might think of businesses that shut down. Oh, you know, we got two or three employees, we shut down, not a big deal. Here's a big company that in 1946, the founder's name was Mr. Truett Cathy. He made the decision to close on Sundays when he opened the first restaurant in Georgia, 1946. Previously, he had worked seven days a week in restaurants that were open 24 hours a day. Truett saw the importance of closing on Sundays so that he and his employees could set aside one day to rest and worship if they chose, and that practice is still held up today. Anybody wanna take a wild guess what this company is? Yes, we have students in here. That's awesome. Chick-fil-A was the, the company. This isn't a small Joe's pizza shop up the road. This is a huge company that shuts down. So if you do the math on this of other related chain industries around it, they are up to lose 1.2 billion dollars every year. 1.2 billion. We're not talking $100,000, that's a B, billion with a B. Now you can make the argument that when they shut down, they actually make more money. Experts are now calling this a brilliant decision. Here's two quotes, it cements Chick-fil-A's reputation, benefits workers, and persuades customers to come back with a greater sense of urgency. Anybody ever gone for a Sunday drive up to Erie? You're driving on the beach, go around the peninsula. You're coming back through, you're like, oh, we're gonna stop in here and grab a sandwich. So you get off the exit, you look at your wife, you say, oh, there's not even a line today. It's not even busy. So you drive around the drive-through, come up, closed. No chicken sandwich for you. No waffle fries, no sweet tea closed. This is the other quote. They don't shy away from being family focused and they don't shy away from being mission driven. Real world example. We had a statement a few years back. I don't know if Rick came up with it or who came up with it, but it said this. We can live better on 90% of our income than the world can 100%. You might be sitting here going mathematically that doesn't make any sense to me. It's very similar to the Sabbath. Should I open my business six days or seven? Mathematically, seven makes so much more sense. And I looked it up on the website, it's still there. The PF website, that information. These are God-designed principles for us. God examples. Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about Sabbath. If you're still on Genesis 2, open your Bibles. We're just going to read the first couple verses there. And I believe I have the first one on the screen. Thus the heavens and earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he had rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the very, very first example in the Bible, or even example to anybody, about a Sabbath. Even though it's not called Sabbath, it's not referred referred to it as a Sabbath, it's still the same concept. God worked six days, took one off. That's his example to us. He takes a whole day, not just half a day, not two hours, not one hour, a whole day, and dedicates it for that day to be holy. Did God need to take this time? He's not like a human being. His energy didn't need to be replenished. You know, as human beings, we get tired. I'm tired right now. We had a whole worship team practice, we did a set, and now I'm preaching. But it's okay. But that's humans, We're, we're the cycle, right? We need that cycle, that rhythm to get back into. God didn't need that. In fact, humans had it made. In the Garden of Eden, all they had to do was tend the garden. They had all their food provided for them. Everything was good. One of the things I want you to see here, this this work that God did, this rest that He did, He actually rested after the work was complete. Not part of it, all of it. There wasn't any laws here in Genesis. We're going to get into that in a second. There was no day of worship mentioned here. This was just God rolling out this first concept of a Sabbath day because he knew that one day we would need this. We would need to come back and study this concept and get it. Let's look at the second example. Anybody heard of the 10 commandments? Yeah. This one comes out of Exodus 20 verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So this was the fourth commandment out of ten. The Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Holy is to set apart, right? To sanctify. We're not talking about Seventh-day Adventists here. We're not talking about a cult. This is a God design. This is the very first time that it was actually put into like a rule or a law. Humans were definitely struggling at this time. Let's look at the next one. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. And this is very, very similar to the Exodus example. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. It's kind of like a prescription. God created the garden. He said, go ahead and tend the garden. We screwed that up. And then He said, here's another book of laws. We messed that up again. Right, So he said, try this. Do you remember the manna example in the Bible? So God rained down manna from heaven. And he actually said, on the sixth day, you go out and collect the manna. Enough for the next day. Enough for the Sabbath day. And if you broke those rules, you had consequences of spoiling your manna. If you didn't go out and collect it on the sixth day, enough for seventh. You didn't have enough for your family on the seventh day. Very extreme cases, right, in the Old Testament. Let's flip over to the New Testament now. Here's an example that comes out of Mark 2. Mark 2, verse 27. And He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. It's kind of like a riddle. Why did Jesus say that? The Jews had made this tradition like unbearable. So he came in to clarify. it. In fact, in this story here, Jesus was, they were like picking grain. Him him and His disciples were picking grain. So the Pharisees were trying to trap Him and they said, you're working on the Sabbath. And He said, no. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was trying to move their thinking, transition their thinking from a half-to moment to be a moment of joy and delight. That was the God design, that was the God plan. This is not like a burden that we have to bear. This should be joyful, this time of rest. This seventh day cycle that God created, it's actually like a universally adapted design, God's design. Every seventh day should be a reminder to us of God's power, his glory, and his sovereignty. We're going to look at one more example. Oh, I don't have it in there. Two different versions here. Matthew 11, verse 28. And Tammy actually referred to it a little bit during worship. The NIV says this, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The New King James, which I normally use, says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's one of those 8,810 promises that God has for us. I believe that rest is a big part of this. It's not just about taking a day off. It's not just about coming together and worshiping, which is all fantastic. But I believe we have to build, we have to purposely build rest into the Sabbath. It doesn't mean you be lazy. It doesn't mean you just sleep all day. I mean, if that's what you need, that's what you need. But another part of rest is silence. We are surrounded by noise. Surrounded by noise. We we don't live in an area like a big city where there's all the heavy noise pollution going on, but I'm as guilty of this as anybody. You, You get in the car, what do you do? Turn the radio on. Turn on your device. Listen to some kind of music. Listen to some kind of teaching. We're surrounded by that. Not all noise is bad, right? Some of it's good. But there's something about silence. Something about silence. We're going to do a little exercise here. We're actually going to take one minute, I'm going to time it, of just pure silence. And go. For some of you, that was very uncomfortable. For the, for others of you, that was a moment of joy. And you're listening to God and, li- and and just talking with Him. That was one minute. One minute. I don't know how many minutes you need of silence a day. That's, that's up to you. But I'm just encouraging you this morning to take moments of silence. You might think, man, you, you don't have any idea what my house is like. I got two dogs, I got three kids, I got a wife barking at me. I get it. I understand that. OK? I understand that. But we are called to that solitude place of silence with Jesus. We're called to it. Maybe you live by yourself. Maybe you know, this silence deal is not a foreign concept to you. Take that, get a hold of that, and just be encouraged to spend that time with Jesus. I want to offer this up to you. I'm here almost every day. As you know, I work here. But if you need a place of silence, if you need somewhere to come during the week, this place is open pretty much 12 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Hands nodding her head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a prayer room over here um, that's very quiet. It's very solitude. That was the design of it if you need a place to come and meet with Jesus that's silent and quiet, that's open to you. It's open to you. This room is usually open. We usually have worship music playing in here all during the week. It's part of our design of the fellowship. In Mark chapter 6, I don't have this one in there either, sorry. It says this, hear the words of Jesus, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Silence. It's all part of it. So we're studying this a little bit. We we saw the benefits of rest. We saw the biblical examples of it. Just want to get a little bit more real with you this morning. We live in a world where we don't want to waste our moments. We don't want to waste our time. We are told to stay busy all the time. But busyness really pushes us away from the heart of God. It actually wars against our awareness of God in His presence. When we enlarge our awareness of God through rest, He meets us every time. I wrote these things down. A mind set on the flesh, the carnal self, cannot obey God. We set ourselves up for failure when we do not rest When we aren't regularly setting aside time for being in God's presence, rest is kind of like a debt that needs to be paid. The more time that goes by without resting, the more is required to catch up. Go ahead and throw up that next slide. Nope. Keep going. Keep going. Right there. All right, here's a cool little graphic. And hopefully you can catch the heart of this concept. This is about building space between your current pace and your limits. Now, These guys in this picture, we don't solicit any of them. We don't sponsor any of them. Just throwing that out there. These are some of the best drivers in the world. Anybody that follows NASCAR knows that. There can be 30, 35, as many as 40 cars running side by side doing 200 miles an hour. And as long as they build space in between each other, it can be three feet, it can be three inches. As long as they build space, it's okay. It's kind of like our lives. As long as we build that space in between our current pace and our limits, we're good. And I like to define that space as the Sabbath, that rest we've been talking about. But what happens when our space and our limits collide Go ahead, hit the next one. mass chaos, destruction, right? sometimes injury, possibly even death. This is an example that God rolled out for us, his design, his plan, and when we don 't follow that plan there's a collision of our 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 pace and our limits. I said I wanted to be real with you this morning. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a story I don't normally talk about. I don't normally share. But I believe that it's appropriate for this time. In 2018, my current pace and my limits collided. I didn't know that I was on this course collision. I didn't know what was going to happen. But God did. I was doing things like working five days a week. Then I'd work on Saturday. Then they'd say, "Hey, can you come in to work Sunday?" And I'd say, "Yeah, I can." But I got to be to church by 8:30 for worship team practice. So on November 4th, 2018, I was doing my routine, I was providing for my family. Did not know what was about to occur. Went to work early that morning, had an accident, fell into a hole, cement pit, it's about four feet deep. You say, well, that's not that deep. Trust me, you get this amount of mass free falling into a cement pit, bad things are going to happen. Didn't know the extent of my injuries, I stood up, managed to get out of the hole. The guy I was working with said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. I need to sit down. He said, okay. So we sat down for about five minutes. I said, I need to go to the hospital. I walk into the hospital. Still very, very early in the morning. Out of all things, the lady at the front desk says, I need to see your ID and insurance information. Are you kidding me? I'm in extreme pain here. Walking into the hospital, and you've got to see that. I understand that's your job, just throwing that in. Nurse comes out, she says, would you like a wheelchair? Here I am, 35 years old. Six months before that, I was carrying couches, dressers. My wife called me the Incredible Hulk. Do I need a wheelchair? I looked at her, I said, yes, that would be a great idea. So I sat in the wheelchair, started to cry a little bit. But I knew that in two hours I had to be in that room over there. We had to lead worship. We had to do this. We had to keep going. We had to keep our current pace. I knew I couldn't do it. Rick was actually out of the country that morning. I was supposed to lead worship. Jeff was going to preach. So I called Jeff. I got him on the phone. I said, hey man, I just got hurt at work. I don't know what's going to happen. I said, you're going to have to find somebody else to lead worship. He said, it starts in like three hours. I said, I know. (laughs) So we bounced some ideas off of each other. He said, okay, don't worry about it. We'll be praying for you. He said, perfect. So they get me back in the room. Set me on the bed. The nurse says, can you pick up your feet and put them on the bed? I said, no, I can't do that said, it's too painful. So she reaches down, picks my feet up one at a time, sets them on the bed. She says, can you take your shoes off? I said, no, can't do that. Hurts too bad. 35 years old, healthy as an ox two hours ago, two hours ago. Boom, done. She says, can you lay down? I said, I don't want to lay down. She said, why? I said, because I know if I lay down, I'm done. That's it. That's the last state of my humility done if I lay down. I said, I'll lay down. From there, they tuck me in to get examined, get some more testing done. A couple hours goes by, the doctor comes in and says, "Well, the bad news is you broke your back." He says, "You need to remain still on this bed." He said, do not sit up. Do not roll over. Don't lift your legs, and don't even lift your arms up. Broken. Broken. My current pace and my limits had collided. A couple minutes later, Denny Atwater walks in. We're all praying. I'm crying. My dad's in there. We're crying and praying. Then he's praying in tongues, and then a couple moments later, he just very boldly begins to speak out. He starts talking in English again, and he says, you will not need surgery. I said, cool, we got some faith going. This is good. Now the reason the doctor didn't want me to move my legs or my arms or sit up or roll over was because a piece of the bone had chipped off of my L2 vertebrae. He said, it's very possible that that could get into your spinal cord and cause permanent damage, maybe even paralysis, paralyze you. He said, we're going to transport you to a different hospital. So I get to the different hospital. My wife meets me there. I had a picture that was taken the day before, and I was holding both kids, one in each arm. And she says, you're going to be okay. I said, yeah. And I pulled out that picture. And I said, I will do this again. I will do this again. I will hold both of our kids. I don't know what made me say that, but I just knew. When Denny prayed that and he said, you will not have to have surgery, I knew I had a peace about it. So I was laying there on the bed, and that nurse at the new hospital I had to tell her my whole story. She goes, what were you doing? So I told her, she said, what were you gonna do today? I said, my wife and I were gonna go lead worship at our church for two services. She goes, so you were gonna work in the morning and then do that? I said, yeah. She goes, it sounds to me like somebody's trying to tell you to slow down. (laughs) Again, 35 years old strong as an ox, and you're telling me I need to slow down. I wanted to hit her. You're not going to tell me what to do. Get back to doing your job. It took me a long time to come to that place to know what she was saying was true. My current pace had collided with my limits. I'm not saying every time you break something that God's trying to tell you to slow down. I'm just telling you my story. And I'm going to encourage you today. I carry these around. Um, (laughs) There's a lot more to this story of more which I will share a different day. Obviously I'm walking. I'm fairly healthy. I have a little bit of trouble every now and then, but I'm good. Praise God. Amen. Matt, come on up here a second. Matt, yeah, come on. Up. I just want somebody else to verify. These were the boots that I was wearing that day. These are real boots. Are real boots. They're pretty heavy, right? <laughs> These are the boots that I could not take off that day because I was broken. You can lay them right there. You can sit down, you're good. (laughs) About eight weeks into my recovery, of 17 weeks, I got fitted with this back brace. I had to wear it a little bit here and there. Keep me steady, keep me sturdy, keep me on the right path. I keep this as a reminder to keep space between your current pace and your limits. I use those every once in a while, not every day, not like I used to. But it's a reminder of how good God was and how good He is. And somebody say amen. amen? You might be sitting there going, Yeah, but I need this, I need this, I need that. I got to keep working, I got to keep working. I, my kids need this. I got a kid in college and I got two at home. Yeah, we all do. But you need God's plan more than you need that money coming in. Okay? When worshiping work, other things suffer. Relationships suffer. Your family can suffer. Church can suffer. You need to spend time in the presence of God, bottom line. If you do not, eventually you will break. There's no doubt. Come on up. I've been married to this woman for 15 years. We've walked through a lot together. And I know some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. That's okay. (laughs) But when you have a woman as good as this one, she can learn with you. And she's going to share a little bit about some things that we've learned even in the past couple years. And hopefully you can grasp onto these concepts too.
1: So, as he was saying, we absolutely believe that that incident, that that was, um, that was a divine, holy God moment. We, we had peace through the whole thing. That's the peace that transcends all understanding that the Bible talks about. Why would you have peace when you don't know if he's going to be paralyzed? You don't know if he's ever going to be able to pick up his kids again. You don't know if he's going to be able to walk. I had no idea what was going to happen, but we had peace. And we knew God's hand was on us. Um, Kind of a side note, but about three days before that, I had had a dream. And I knew that that dream was for that incident. And I knew God was going to take care of us. Um, And I was so thankful. Um, So thankful. But you would think that we had learned our lesson. (laughs) And we'd be like, oh, Lord, we're not going to run that race that hard anymore. But time goes by and you slowly forget and you creep back into that place slowly. And we had found ourselves about a year or so ago back in that place of running the race too hard. And. And it was really tough, and we were like, but God, we're doing so many things for you. Okay, you don't need me, Lord. (laughs) You just choose to use me. Um, And so one day, um, God had spoken this verse to me, and it's Psalm 127, and it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And in vain you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But He grants sleep to those He loves. Out on the foot—that's the NIV. But the footnote at the bottom says, "Or while they sleep, He provides for those He loves." He is Jehovah Jireh, God, a provider. See, we thought we had to do this job over here and this job over there, and. AJ was he's always been an amazing provider for our family. There is no doubt about that. If there is one thing I could say that I'd be like, man, he has got that nailed down provider. He knows how to provide well. But sometimes we get stuck in that cycle of the rat race and bordering and teetering into workaholic what he had mentioned before, right? Cuz you think I've got to be a good provider. I got I have kids at home. I have a wife who needs me. You know, I have all these things that I want to provide for, and God made me able-bodied to do it. But I wrote a song about this. I'm not going to sing it now, but I wrote a song using these exact lyrics, and I sang it to AJ. And we were both like, that's it. For while we sleep, he provides for us. We don't have to do it all. We don't have to do it all. We can rest knowing that Abba Father was going to come in and provide for our financial needs, provide um, provide for our emotional needs, provide for everything we needed in our family. We knew that we knew that that verse was for that moment for us. And we held on to that for a long time. And we still go back to it. And we'll just be sitting in the kitchen or something. And I'll just start singing it to them. And I'll be like, remember... For while we sleep, he provides, we don't have to do it all. Isn't that a wonderful promise that you don't have to kill yourself to do it all that he says, take a day and rest, take this moment and sleep. Like I kind of wanted to talk quickly because this, um, NIV version says that he grants sleep to those he loves. Um, and then it also says, while you sleep, he provides. I think the sleep is a is a big, big issue. I think that ties into the whole resting. I think it ties into the whole working too much and and not taking a moment to breathe. Sleep plays such an important role in our lives that God designed it for us as a human. If he didn't think we needed sleep, he never would have created it. And so many of us, one in three Americans, are actually sleep-deprived. You know that when you're sleep-deprived, your personality can change. Your attitude can change. It can affect your health very negatively. It, affects, it It. can cause depression, obesity, heart disease. Matter of fact, there's that... Listen, this is going too far, but I'm just saying. If you actually don't sleep, for I think it's a matter of... 72 hours might be 4 days if you actually do not sleep at all you could die that is literally how much we need it like if you're not getting it at all your body's going to shut down completely because in our sleep is where God created our bodies to heal themselves God created our minds to be at rest and to heal all the things that we need to be refreshed for the next day and if we're not taking that seriously and we're not being a good steward of our bodies and our souls and our spirits by resting and by sleeping well we're going to shut down we're going to crash like aj said the the limits and the and the what now they're going to crash they're going to collide right like it it's not going to work out well um So the Psalm 127, I think you have it up there in the NIV. You can put it up if you have it. Theologians have a debate about this Psalm. They're not sure whether David wrote it for Solomon or whether Solomon wrote it. I like to believe David wrote it for his son, Solomon, who is a wise ruler, and that he dedicated to it that he dedicated this um, psalm to him. Because Solomon had a house to build, a city to keep, and seed to raise up to his father. But David directs Solomon to look up to God and depend upon God for his providence, for without which all this wisdom and wealth would be for nothing, and it wouldn't be successful. Solomon was known for being a wise man. And he would be apt to lean on his own understanding. Right? But his father's trying to teach him to look higher and to take God along with him in all of his undertakings. Solomon was a man of business. And therefore David instructed him how to manage that business under the direction of God. And he's saying, unless unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And in vain, you rise up early. And in vain, you stay up late, toiling, working hard for the food you eat, for the things you have, for the home you live in, right? Working so hard for that. And God says, wait, 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 wait. He grants sleep to those he loves. And while you sleep, he provides. What a gift. Rest and sleep are a gift from God. They are an absolute gift. Do not take them for granted. Because I promise you, one day, you're going to shut down. And it's all going to come crumbling down before you. Kind of like it did for us except we knew God's hand was in it, and we knew he was going to take care of us and teach us through that. He wasn't just going to leave us in that spot. He wasn't going to leave us in the place of desolation and, and feeling overwhelmed and like, oh gosh, now what do we do? We're so young. Like he said, he was 35. That's so young, right? So he didn't leave us in that spot. He is teaching us to to come to him for rest and teaching us to sleep and to rest in him and that we don't have to worry. I know that my whole life I have struggled from the time I can remember. I've struggled with sleep so I get you if you're like listen I have insomnia. Right? Here. You know, it's it's really hard and I have had to speak his word over me to speak his peace over me all the verses about sleep and peace and this one as well i have had to speak it over myself and i have had to fight that battle it is a struggle and i fight it constantly every day every day i am fighting that battle because the enemy he doesn't want you to rest he doesn't want you to sleep He doesn't want your body to be restored and refreshed so that you can continue to do the work that God has set before you. He doesn't want that for you. But God says you need it. Do you have anything else? You do.